guys, what is up? I'm uh, I'm fired up this week. Last weekend was UTMB. It's got me all jacked up. Um, I don't know if anyone else was following along, but I was glued to the live coverage because it's absolutely incredible. Um, and so it's it's got me turned up a little bit, a little more excited for training. I, I I'm sure we all feel that when we watch big races marathons um ultras that have great coverage the olympics just kind of gets you geared up to really start cranking and uh that is what utmb did utmb did for me on another level i'm fired up because we have our first repeat guest um i swore to myself that i wasn't going to put out another one of my own race reports until someone that was a guest of ours threw their second one in so Rory has opened the door for me to pump in one of mine, um, which I will add into the docket here soon. Uh, but on this episode, episode 30, let me double check. I believe we are episode 36. Um, we got Rory O'Flaherty. He's back. Um, he does a good job of telling you how you can catch his story a little bit better in his intro, but check out episode 30. Um, it's a good recap of Rory's journey, um, from his running career up to his first hundred. And now here we are, um, recapping his second 100, which was the Kettle Rain 100 this year in Wisconsin. Um, we were fortunate to be there working the aid station with the 10 junk miles crew and, uh, was able to witness, the carnage that was Kettle Moraine this year. Uh, I don't want to give too much away. Rory will get into it and I get into a little bit more of it in our post-show wrap-up, but um, it was brutal. And it's a course that's not too crazy in terms of climbs and hills and technical terrain, but man, the heat and humidity just destroyed people this year. So, I'm not going to jump too much more into that. I'm going to let Rory do do the work because that's what this podcast is about. It's for our people to share the stories. So before we jump into that, as always, our good friends at Buffalo Bluffs Hemp, uh, Kurt and Crystal, they are officially back in the mix in their ultra running careers after the, having their third babies. Crystal is running the Shippy 100. She is our defending inaugural women's champion. She signed up for that in January. Kurt has the OT 100 coming up in a couple of months. And then he just pulled the trigger on Black Hills 100 for 2022. So I love seeing these guys back in the mix. You know, they took a, a bit of a life halt to start Buffalo Bluffs and create a natural CBD company based out of Southern Illinois that is doing great things. Um, products that you can use on yourself, products that you can use on your four-legged friends. Um, for any of you, you that are using CBD products, um, definitely give Buffalo Bluffs a shout. They are small, local to the Illinois area, and they're doing great things, and they're doing it the right way, and their products work. Um, I was having some ca calf tightness last week um, after running a trail series that was short four mile trail races and post back surgery and running fast. I have not done that. And by no means was my speed fast as it used to be, but it still hurt. And my calves and hamstrings were just barking for the last month. And I've been using their, um, their salve to rub on my calves and my hamstrings. And it is a game changer. It has helped big time. And as always, they're tinctures to get a good night's rest. So shoot Kurt and Crystal a message, buffalobluffshemp.com. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram. Just Google Buffalo Bluffs. They can take care of you down there. The Endurance House is our code, 20% off your first order. Support those guys because they're amazing people and they're doing great things. So without further ado, Rory, my man, episode number two, take it away. Hey, what's up, party people? It's Rory O'Flaherty. I'm back here again for my second episode uh, with Ryan. Do me a favor and go back and listen to episode 30. Uh, 
I kind of get into my my story, my running story, and then my first 100-mile uh, race. Uh, so stop this right now. Go back and do that. Um, for the rest of you that have heard it, I'll just get going on this race report. Uh, this is the Kettle Moraine 100. And uh, before I get too much into that, just want to say how uh, I'm full of gratitude and wanted to emphasize how big of a deal uh, my, getting my first 100-mile finish was as it was about a five-year journey. So I'm not sure I did a great job of highlighting that in the last race report, uh, but it was a big deal for me. Um, that being said, I only had about 11 weeks in between the Badger Mountain 100 and the Kettle Moraine 100. Um, the reason they were so close together is they were both rollovers. Um, and the reason I really kind of needed to run kettle after already getting that hundred mile finish was because it was a Western States qualifier. And, uh, anyone that knows my story or that I've talked to in the past, I've been all about getting into the Western States 100 at some point. So, um, I did get the my first qualifier at uh, Miwok 100K a few years back, and uh, so this was going to be a way for me to get my second ticket um, in, into the Western States. Um, but 11 weeks is not a long time uh, when you're just a casual, uh, you know, dad. I've got two kids, family, work, <laughs> a lot of work. Um, so 11 weeks is just not a lot of time in between races. And, um, typically between ultras, I'll take like a week off afterwards and just let my body kind of reset. So I did that exact thing for this one as well. I, uh, took, uh, yeah, I took seven days with no running. Um, usually I like to get out and do a little bit of walking, that sort of thing, kind of get loosened up. But uh, I'll get into a little bit about how, how do you even train for something like that with only 11 weeks in. I had a few challenges in this training cycle because, uh, like I said, uh, I was I was very much hobbled <laughs> by the first one. And so um, I had a really hard time uh, just getting, getting through that. And uh, the other challenge I had was two weeks after the Badger Mountain 100, my wife was doing her first trail half marathon up at uh, Deception Pass, one of Candace uh, Burt's races. And this thing has like about 2,400 feet of gain. And so I was I was running it with her and uh, uh, gosh, I think it was only like 10 days or something after the 100 miler. So I was pretty much, um, I was pretty much cooked. But uh, I was able to, we were able to get it done. Um, she did awesome, you know, really, really impressed with the amount of training she put in, uh, running local hills here and going out for long runs and getting as much fur as she could. That was awesome. And so um, I was very stoked to just be there with her and get her first experience with uh, with trail running, really. Um She'd done a half marathon a while back, but uh, that was a road marathon. Um, so this was really her first experience with trail, and uh, I think it was a pretty good experience, so really proud of her um, with that. But it was a challenge uh, for me just to get back into it. Um, uh, so I started working with a, with a coach, and uh, even prior to Badger, uh, Pat uh, Griffith from Trail Transformation, they're... Uh, out of La Crosse, Wisconsin. Uh, the reason I mention that is um, La Crosse, Wisconsin is originally my hometown. And uh, uh, so uh, I wanted to hook up with them, give them some business, and uh, also, you know, hopefully help me uh, get through this gauntlet. Um, and so I would... I would, uh, I would typically like to try to hike on my lunch breaks and do like a mile or two during the days. Um, I run five days a week, uh, you know, and so after that week off, I started uh, probably back into the 20s miles a week and then into the 30s and, 
into the 40s into the you know into the low 50s would be kind of my peak since I'd just run 100 miles I didn't really feel the need to go out and you know run a 50 miler or something um I think my long runs building up to this one were like 17 a 20 and like a 23 and a half and I'm fine with that you know I've already already shown you know that I can run these longer distances and uh so I'm that's that's a good distance for me you go out for a 23 24 mile run uh, that's a really sufficient long run distance so was happy with that um but it's kind of like uh you know a band who puts out their first album and they've had their entire life to work on this album and it's all their best songs and um you know, they put everything into it. And so that's kind of how I felt with this second 100. Um, I, you know, I'd put everything I had into that first one and I'd built up to it for five years. Um, so how do you, how do you follow that up? Um, so we fly into Milwaukee. So I fly into Milwaukee in a couple days, I think on a Thursday, uh, I hook up with Doug. Doug lives near Milwaukee. He's kind of the star of the last show. Uh, so if you did the last one, episode 30, Doug was kind of the star of that one. Um, so he lives near Milwaukee, picks me up. We go, and it's near um, Whitewater, uh, Wisconsin. And that's where we were going to st- we're staying in a hotel there. Um, so we headed up there, had dinner, uh, got got the packet pickup, did all that. Um, got to see a Carl Meltzer was there again. I don't know if he's like following me around or what, but uh, uh, he was the big name there um, again. And um, so, a little bit about the course. It's a uh, it's a hundred percent trail. It's uh, sixty five miles are on the Ice Age Trail. Um, the Ice Age Trail is kind of a big deal in Wisconsin. That's uh, uh, Corey Waltering set the FKT on it uh, just this past year. Um, prior to that, Annie Weiss, uh, Wisconsinite, had set the, the FKT on it. Anyways, it's a beautiful trail. runs all through Wisconsin. There's thousands of miles of it. Um, it's pretty epic. So, um, And, yeah, 65 of these 100 miles are going to be on the Ice Age Trail. 80% of it is wooded terrain. The rest is prairie or marsh. Uh, I'd push back on that a little bit, figure, and say it's about 70% wooded terrain and 30% prairie or marsh, mostly prairie. Um, but I digress. There's two different out and back sections. Uh, so you kind of start, I wouldn't say in the middle, um, but you run a section out uh, to the high point in the race. And then you make a loop, turn around and come back to the start finish area. That start finish area is about 64 miles. So basically it's a hundred kilometers. Um, and you get back to that start finish area and then you go out on a new, uh, stretch of trail that, um, takes you out and then back to the finish for the full hundred miles. Um, they say it's only about 8,800 feet of gain. I think most people conservatively have it at about 10,000. So it's not a super uh, strenuous climbing race, but I will say that it uh, I underestimated it by quite a bit. Um, there are no super long climbs. But it's up and down, up and down, up and down, and it adds up. And uh, the beginning part of it is like these uh, um, cross-country ski uh, hills. So you run up a small hill, and then you come down it, and it goes like that for some time. And those are really popular, uh, wide-open cross-country ski trails. Uh, and so that's kind of how it starts out and then it gets out into, you know, over time you get, then you get out into the ice age trail. So that's a little bit about what the course is, uh, 
what the course is like. It's also a 30-hour cutoff. Um, and uh, I digress a little bit here. Um, I'm from Wisconsin originally. I'm from, like I said, I'm from La Crosse, Wisconsin. And so this was like coming home for me. Uh, I have not done an ultra in Wisconsin. This is the the biggest one in Wisconsin. Um, you know, it's the only 100-miler that, that is a Western States qualifier, that sort of thing. Um, it was special to me because it was uh, a chance for me to come and hang out with my good friends. Uh, I was going to have Doug. Uh, Doug had come in. He had had plantar fasciitis, and so he wasn't. He was going to originally do it with me, um, but he wasn't able to. So he was going to pace a little bit. Uh, he was going to volunteer a little bit. Uh, my buddy Aaron was able to pace a good bit for me and then my buddy Adam uh came out and uh he as you'll hear through the story he was he was instrumental in in my success as well um but uh it was really special to me for for another reason and uh that's because my mother it was her birthday it was uh June 13th and uh you know I kind of got my toughness from my mom and so I wanted to I wanted to give her this birthday present and just kind of say this was for both of us and this is this is for you and and um we've been, we've seen some shit in our lives. We've been through some things and and I uh, definitely got my toughness from a few things that I'm going to address uh before I get into the race report here. Uh you won't find these in Hal Corner's How to Run a Ultra Marathon book which is a good read if you're just getting into it. Um, first thing is deodorant. Don't wear it. I repeat, don't wear deodorant. I know, it sounds like you'll be super stinky, um, but you're going to stink anyways after 30 hours, and there's a reason why you don't want to wear deodorant. Um, you're going to get massive chase, chafing. Uh, I've tried antiperspirant. I've tried deodorant, but just the act of swinging your arms for uh, 30 hours or even 10 hours, um, you're going to get some pretty massive chafing there. And so um, the really key for that is just to keep that area dry. Um, So you can wipe it off throughout the race or you can change your T-shirt. Those things help. Um, Next thing I cover is the the nips, the nipples. Uh, What I do is I use Tegaderm. It's a product from 3M. Just... Basically, it's waterproof. It, uh, you know, you cover the the whole nipple, and uh, you know, as a I've got a hairy hairy chest, so you know, when you get those hairs rubbing against your nipples and up and down all day long, um, I've had some pretty brutal nipple nipple chafage. So it's um, this is this is the best product that I've found, and I can run a hundred miles in it in the in a ninety degree weather. Um, I mean, it's it's pretty much foolproof. Uh, the next thing is the old crotchal region. Uh, I know that's a scientific term, but uh, you're going to want to use, I use body glide, um, and you're going to want to use it pretty liberally. Uh, I've even had, um, God forbid, you get a little bit of chafing on your, you know, if you're a man on your penis. I mean, that's about as painful as it gets. Um, but a little bit of body glide, on there works um you you also want to get it in all the way in your crack um uh that can be super painful as well um and then if it's going to be like something where it's like super humid or you're going to be fighting wetness um i would recommend desitin cream because that's really you know it's basically uh diaper rash cream it's got the zinc oxide in there that stuff is gonna gonna be awesome for anything wetness um related like i used it for the oregon cascades 50 miler and i covered my feet in it and i didn't have a single problem we got rained on the entire time the next thing i'd mention would be uh as far as for heat you're gonna want to do ice in your hat get yourself a nice trucker hat and just pile in the ice in there um about a half half of it i would say should be ice uh, something like this kettle, um, that was crucial for me. And then also, you, if you've got a buff, you can kind of put that around your neck and use a 
use it as kind of like a bandana. You can fill that thing with ice on the back of your neck. Um, and that can really take your body temperature down as well. Now we're getting into the race day situation. Uh, so what I like to do is uh, wake up a little early, apply all this lubrication in all the in all the spots. I like to have myself a little blueberry muffin. It's more uh, just uh, superstition at this point. Uh, I've never DNF'd a race, and I've been doing this blueberry muffin thing for a while. Um, so I uh, get up early and do all that, get to the race start line without too much uh, difficulty. There was, you know, he's able to drop me off. Doug was able to drop me off and get some parking. Um, and, uh, you know, just the pre-race jitters. Everyone's uh, excited because a lot of us, have, you know, it's been COVID. And so a lot of people, it's their first race back. And, um, you know, you see all the, you see all the, uh, more elites up toward the front and I kind of make my way back toward the uh, middle to three quarters uh, back um, but it's 6 a.m and uh, you know there's already there's already some sunlight and uh, we're all just ready to get it going forecast for the day is low 90s uh, for the high and we're gonna deal with some humidity and we're gonna have deer ticks on the trail we're going to have mosquitoes. You know, it's June in Wisconsin. Yay! So I think the biggest challenge is definitely the heat, right? This isn't a super uh, mountainous course, although, again, I was surprised with all the up and down. Um, course profile shows the up and down, but you just never see any climbs more than a couple hundred feet, a hundred, you know, 50 feet, something like that. But it's a lot of just up and down, twisty, turny, especially, especially later in the race. Um, it's prairie in this heat. Um, he, he's kind of going on about telling me how like uh, there's also it's also the marsh section. There's basically a river right underneath us, and so the humidity on this section is so terrible that people that run it are just foolish. You know, basically. That's what he told me. And so I was inclined to believe him. He's got a hell of a lot more experience on it than I do. So I just dropped it down and we just hiked it for quite some time through this section. And, you know, I was pushing it, you know, you know, in that 15 to 17 mile uh, per hour hiking pace, um, you know, not screwing around by any stretch, but also very much maintaining my my cooling system you know keeping the body temp down and uh finally we reached an aid station and uh and you know he starts saying hey i'm gonna take a little bit of time here and and uh he was kind of going telling me about how you know yeah time's just starting to get a little tight here uh he's probably not he's probably not gonna make it he's probably gonna drop down to the 100k and that was not my mindset at all. So I quickly got my water, got my uh, my food there at the aid station, got my ice in my hat and my buff, and bolted out of there. And the prairie section wasn't quite a hundred percent done, but I, at this point, I was like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta move. I gotta go. You know, he, he's he's a veteran, and he's telling me, you know, you're gonna be kind of up against the time here, and so. Uh, so I kind of take off and uh, I put down some good miles between 44 and, or yeah, by then it's probably more like mile 50 to uh, mile 60. Put down some really solid times um, on the Ice Age Trail. And then you kind of work your way back into those uh, cross country trails. And I'm pushing pretty good and I get to about mile 59 i want to say 60 and i get to an aid station and there's my homie doug i'm so pumped because i th i'm i didn't know that i was going to be able to get a pacer that early um we thought we were going to only get a pacer at the start finish area but because of the time of night they allowed because it was later um, they allow a pacer to start uh, at that point instead because of the time.
I had spent so much time in the lead up to this race uh, worried about uh, the deer flies. I had heard so much about the deer flies and mosquitoes. But I'll be honest with you, they just weren't really a factor. There was one section uh, on my way out to Scuppernog where there were some deer flies, but you could just kind of run away from them or kind of swat, you know, kind of swat them off pretty easy and they'd follow you for 20 seconds and then you'd drop them. So it, it just really wasn't a big factor in the race. It was the heat that was the biggest factor. Um, but so with Doug by my side now, we put down some pretty good miles and super excited because I've got a drop bag at the start-finish area, and I'm going to pick up Aaron, my pacer, who's going to take me like 24 miles. And so I'm super excited um, to get there. Doug and I put down a few decent miles and then kind of realize I'm going to make it under the cut um, this midnight cut, and he's kind of telling me too that, hey, this is not a hard cutoff time, so kind of pro tip there if anyone wants to do this kettle. Um, there are a couple cutoffs that, let's just say you were five, ten minutes over the cutoff, they're not going to cut you off if you're looking good. So, you know, if you're within reason and you're strong and you have the will, these cutoffs are pretty aggressive. Like, uh, I guess you'll find out more as I continue on, but uh, as long as you're near these cutoff points, you're going to be f just fine. Uh, so we finally we get in there, and, you know, because of the heat and, and everything, uh, you know, at, at this point it's dark now. So, uh, you know, we get into this aid station and there's just a ton of energy. This is the start finish area. So every runner that comes in gets a huge welcome. Every runner, you know, if you're brave enough to, to go back out, you know, um, you're going to get a huge applause and a lot of, uh, people telling you great job and go get it and that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, I, I, sh I should mention, on our way to the start-finish area at mile 64, I had a couple of interactions with a couple of different people because everyone's trying to get there by a certain time in order to continue on through the night. Um, and like I said, with this 100K drop-down situation, there's a lot of people that just panic and they just give up. And they're like, I had one guy who was like, He's like this young ripped guy. And I'm like, you know, he, he basically was just like, oh, I don't have a pacer to run through the night. I'm just going to quit here. And there was another guy who was telling us that, that we didn't have enough time. And, uh, Doug was, you know, pretty much just like, whatever, dude, like we, we got plenty of time. We're going to do it. And, um, so I've had like, three different people essentially telling me like you're not going to be able to do this you don't have enough time at least that's the way i interpreted it and that's really odd for an ultra because usually everyone's super supportive and uh you know but what they don't know about me is is my heart and what they don't know about me is that just pisses me off and drives me even further so when someone tells you you can't do something, you know, you dig in and you get after it. And so by this by this guy telling me that we didn't have enough time, you know, we kicked it into high gear and got there in plenty, you know, 15 minutes before midnight, something like that. Um, but plenty of time to get in, get aid, and get out. And um, I knew that if I could hit that aid station, I'd be in really good shape to get this thing finished because I knew at night that is the temperature was going to drop down. And, uh, I, I told them, you know, straight up, I don't, I don't need any, any clothing. I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt tonight. Um, it was going to be a great chance for my body to, uh, kind of be cooler at night. Uh, and, uh, but at the aid station itself, 
I got there and Adam went to work. I had some blisters, you know, popping those. They had gotten me a Subway sandwich, uh, turkey and bacon. I took like one or two bites and I just, I couldn't um, process, uh, I couldn't process like grains. I couldn't process a lot of food. What I had to do, it's disgusting. Um, like I had a, I had a cliff bar at one point and it, I gagged on the thing. Um, and it took me like three different times throughout the night to get it down. And what I had to do is get it wet with some water and then just kind of chew on it a little bit. But I couldn't, everything was so dry and, you know, I'm sure my tongue was dry and just from the heat, you know, like solid foods were not, they were hard to put down. And so there was only certain things that I could eat um, that I could get down. And so they got this six inch sub and I, I pretty much was like, bro, I can't eat this bread. So I just stripped off the bacon and, and some of the turkey and grabbed, um, grabbed my poles at this point, you know, start hiking with the poles. Uh, this is the first time I grabbed the poles here at 64 and Aaron, I get going with Aaron and we hike the first couple miles out of this aid station because I put a ton of effort to get there in time and and to take care of myself uh, uh, at the aid. Um, I'll mention here just like what an amazing job that that I did and my crew did at aid stations uh, and how quickly and in and out I was. I saved so much time. Uh, especially, you know, in the second half of the race, I would, I would get into an aid station. I would get the things that I could handle, such as Coke, uh, bacon, uh, bananas. And I would even tell my pacer, you know, go up, run up, get me a Coke ready, get me, you know, get me a banana and get me a couple slices of bacon. And he'd have it ready for me when I got there. And so then I could just like, grab it and literally just walk right through the aid station and just keep walking. Um, and then once I finished the food, the Coke, then we could start running again. So um, that's something that I did a lot better in this 100 miler. And uh, uh, just, I think a lot of people could learn from it and a lot of people could save a lot of time at aid. Uh, so anyways, Aaron and I make these couple miles and we're walking you know, and, and probably not doing the best miles, like, you know, 18 minute, you know, 19 minute. And I'd played a fun little game in the first, uh, first half of the race when my brain was still a hundred percent functioning, which was any mile over, you know, I know that a 30 hour cutoff, an 18 minute mile is what you need. You need to run slightly under that in order to get in under 30 hours. So, any mile that was over 18 minutes in the first, uh, uh, I think when I was tracking it, it was like the first 38 miles. I'd only had like three miles that were over that. And that includes eight stations, of course. Um, so I was in pretty good shape at the halfway point, And I was in pretty good shape still here at, um, at mile 64. And, uh, but then we, you know, started walking and realized that the pace had slowed down quite a bit. And so I told Aaron, I'm like, well, you know, we really need to be putting down about, you know, 16 minute mile or better if we're gonna, if we're gonna get this thing done, you know, cause I knew it would, you'd slow down overnight. And so at that point, after a couple of slow miles, he was, he was on me. He really, um, started pushing me to, uh, he would tell me like what our mile was or our last mile was. Um, somewhere around this point, my watch petered out. I'd been really tracking my heart rate with it. It was the original Koros pace, which is really, uh, I, somehow I got an, I got a 31 hour finish out of it when the thing's only supposed to last 25 hours. But I, uh, at the, at my prior hundred miler, 
So, so I was feeling pretty confident that I would make it through with this watch, but because I was at that prior race, I hadn't been using the heart rate function. I was just, I literally just turned it on and left it alone. Well, this time I was doing a lot of, you know, put it, check in different settings, how much vert, how much heart rate. And so I guess it really drained it. So I only ended up getting about 71 miles out of that watch on this one, which was kind of disappointing. Had to go out and buy a new one. <laughs> but uh, so anyways, yeah, he's telling me, you know, what kind of paces we're putting down. And we'd put down like a 14-minute mile, and he'd be like, nice job, 14, you know, 1420, 1405. And uh, really helped to motivate me. You know, I'm running with poles and... This is actually the most beautiful part of the race is the part um, once you get back out. So now you're in a totally new section. You get you once you get out of the loop, which is those uh, cross country trails and you head out on this totally new section, you head out toward a uh, highway 12 and uh, the highway 12 portion and then the portion from highway 12 to Rice Lake are the best portions of the race. I think I did it in the dark, of course, um, at least on the way out there. But I think Michelle Hartwig, the RD, if there's any way you could switch that section to, to run that during the day, that would be awesome. Just my two cents. Um, so anyways, Aaron's pushing me through the night like a champ. Um, we're getting out, we're doing, this is a lot more twisty or turny, um, single track, rocky, and, uh, I've got the <coughs> Petzl Actic, uh, headlamp, and because it's so dark out, I decided to, to put it on a different setting than I normally do my daily runs with, uh, a brighter setting, and, of course, at some point the damn thing burns out. And so that I actually only brought the one lamp because uh, I I'd tested it and it would last, you know, it would last through the night. But apparently not on that higher setting. So I uh, learned something there. But luckily Aaron had an extra, uh, he had a handheld flashlight. And so I borrowed, he was nice enough to let me borrow his headlamp and he just used his handheld. And, uh, but I got to talk about this section um, on our way from Highway 12 to Rice Lake. We heard, uh, it was the most beautiful night. It Literally the temps dropped down and there's just something special about running at night and it's just you and the trail you and your buddy, I never get to see Aaron. So, you know, we had some good conversation. Um, but it was just so peaceful and so just majestic because we heard uh, coyotes calling each other um, back and forth. And they would, we would just listen. You know, we, we didn't want to ruin it by talking. And then we heard the owls. Uh, the mascot for this race is, is an owl. So, uh, of course, you know, we had to hear the owl at night and, uh, it was just awesome. It was just very beautiful. And, um, we're working our butts off and finally we, we get out to the rice lake section. Um, and I mean, I swear to God, the sun's not coming up at like four in the morning, but, because of the time of year this race is run on June 13th, I mean, it feels like it. It's like it's like barely past four in the morning you start to see glimmers of 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 light and you're like, okay, yeah, buddy, we're gonna get this thing done. And so we we roll into um you know, it starts doing that prior to us getting to Rice Lake and seeing some light, and we get to the Rice Lake aid station. And I mean, we were literally out of that thing, um, you know, I grabbed like a turkey wrap or something for the road. And that's it. And I'm drinking Coke. Like I'm drinking a lot of caffe caffeinated soda. It's the one calorie source that I can get down. Um, you know, I think 
what I've learned is that you're in these super hot races, your body can only handle a certain amount of uh, packaged processed foods, right? But it can only also handle a certain amount of, you can't do so much chewing. Um, so I think that the strategy is, is get yourself some, some liquid calories like, uh, like tailwind, that sort of thing, because that's really, I, I was listening to Sally McRae and how she did bad water. And that's what she found with her training is as the heat goes and up and up and up, you've got to almost switch to more of a liquid diet. And so I learned that in a sense, uh, at kettle, um, granted I was drinking a lot of Coke and even, a Dr. Pepper, Mountain Dew, just, just nasty stuff that I don't normally drink, but, um, a nice cold Coke at an aid station is pretty amazing, I gotta say. So anyways, we get to Rice Lake and it's just, you know, it's like we make it again prior to the cutoff by like 15 minutes. So not a lot of time, you know, but again, these cutoffs are like super aggressive. You don't need to make that aid station 15 early to, to get a finish here. So Aaron's pushing me pretty good out of Rice Lake, you know, and there's some climbing. There's definitely some climbing out of there. Um, got some nice pictures uh, out of that section. And then um, we're heading back towards the home base. And uh, I get back to Highway 12. And then I think that's where I picked Doug back up. And so... He's got about, we've got about 15 miles to the finish. To get into my troubles with getting food down, uh, like I said, I had to put water into my mouth in order to really eat anything. And so I felt like Joey Chestnut at the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Competition, literally the the entire like last 60 miles of the race, that's what I had to do to eat. But um, coming in and out of aid stations, I was just like the Terminator. I was just, see it, tell me where to go. I'm I'm just grabbing stuff and going. I'm not spending time at aid. Having a pacer was so huge for me in this race. Um, in fact, having two pacers um, to mix it up a little bit. But uh, it just makes the night section a lot easier to navigate. Like I said, uh, it's twisty, turny, rooty, rocky. And um, also, I fell at one point. I had a really gnarly blister when I hit this root. Um, it really aggravated this blister actually on the top of my foot, which I've never gotten one on the top of your foot before there, like behind the toenail, not on the toenail. So that was strange, but it felt like I almost broke my toe. I, um, and then, uh, like I said, you know, we got a ton of rocks and stuff in our shoes cause it's pretty rocky. It was pretty dry. And so for like the last 20 miles, I felt like I had a, a rock in the heel of my shoe. I even stopped at one point, you know, I was so like worried about the time and everything that, I just ran with it forever. And so finally I was like, okay, I just got to try and get this thing out. So I even took off the shoe, a rock right in the middle of my heel, and it wasn't there. There was no rock there. The only thing I can think of is it was underneath um, the my liner or something of the shoe, you know, the cushion of the shoe. So it was bizarre, but it hurt. Every single step hurt. Uh so picked up Doug at Highway 12. I got a little pep talk from uh, somebody Doug had been sitting there waiting with. was like, yeah, Doug's been hyping you up and like all this stuff. And he's like, you got to finish now. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm doing my best here. And uh, uh, so, yeah, Doug and I are off now and not too far to go. So it's starting to become uh, a reality that this thing is going to end um, from Highway 12 back through uh, some more nice single track. Now it's daylight, so uh, you can see everything. And then finally to uh, 
to to the next aid station. Uh, we got to the aid station with about 10 miles to go. And I was convinced that it was only like seven more miles to the finish, like eight maybe. But they were like, no, it's 10. And it just totally sank me. I was like, oh, my God. I was just like, oh, well. And then I, you start doing the math in your head. Okay, 20-minute mile. like, And, you know, I'm like, well, shoot, you know, we got to go. And so, you know, we took off and ran like the next couple miles um, uh, until I got tired again and 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 that sort of thing. And then realized... We were going to be all right on time. Like I said, you know, and then Doug was really my eyes and ears. And, and he's like, no, man, we're going to be all right. Like, don't push yourself, you know, because he knew how close I was to, to redlining because of the heat. And now the sun's up again and it's getting hot again. It's it's we're baking for a second day. And he knew like what I'd been through in my body and just not being able to put down a ton of food. Um, for like, you know, everything at the aid station just looks so crappy. All the packaged food, the, the gummy bear, I couldn't eat any of that stuff. The cookies, um, chips were just awful. Like, you know, all the stuff that I have no problem eating in a normal ultra, just because of the heat, again, it just, it wasn't doing it for me. But I kind of powered through the last half of the race on bananas and coca-cola and occasional bacon um honestly um and you need the bacon because you need some protein in there some nuts something that um because you're i mean you can get rhabdo your muscles are breaking down at a level that is so high you need some protein in there so to help repair some of that muscle uh, breakdown Anyway, so after a few miles of good running um, with Doug, we realized we're no, we're we're good, man. We're we're gonna get this thing done. And the whole point of being out here was to get the Western States qualifier. And so he just kind of has me walking, just hiking it in because um, we got we got plenty of time, and there's no sense pushing it, you know. And so uh, we hike these. Um, you know, we hike the, all the cross country trails and then we finally get to this kind of a winding, grassy, more a ton of just straight sun on us with, you know, not a lot of shade, which, which sucks when you're just walking. Um, cause you know, you've already gone like nearly a hundred miles and it's actually it's like 101 miles to the finish. Um, but yeah, we're, so we're just walking and, and, you know, I'm trusting him that we're good on time because I can barely process anything, you know, the brain at this point. And, uh, finally we get, we're coming down the last straightaway and he's like, well, there it is. You want to, you want to run it in and, and, uh, you can get under 2930 if you run. And so I take off and kind of sprint, use that term lightly sprinted in and I get in at 29.29 and I do this kind of weird thing where it's like a Randy Macho Man Savage like thing up by my ear like can you know I can't hear you guys kind of thing um it gets a little bit of a reaction from the from the few spectators you know there's a few dozen people there cheering it cheering it on and uh so that was pretty cool. I get across the finish line and, and, uh, Michelle's there. The, the RD hands me a, hands me my belt buckle and, uh, you know, take a picture in front of the Kettle Moraine, uh, signage with my belt buckle. And, um, it was pretty awesome. You know, it was, uh, it was a really long journey and I couldn't have done it without without Doug and Adam and uh, Aaron pacing me and Adam taking care of me and Doug pacing and, and kind of, you know, they all put up with my crabbiness overnight and, and just kind of babying me. Cause I really, uh, I really recommend pacers if you, if you can get them, 
uh, for an event like this. Um, so we, and then we got to sit around and, and, you know, there was still over a half an hour left. So a lot of people finished behind me, um, you know, a dozen or so. And, uh, we got to sit around and, and drink a beer and, and just, you know, shoot the breeze with some other people around the area. And then this one guy came in and, uh, his buddies like had a bottle of champagne and they like sprayed us with it. So that was pretty crazy. Um, so, so anyways, that is the kettle 100. And as I wrap this thing up, um, you know, I've got some numbers here. So I finished 58th out of the 67 finishers. 299 people started the Kettle Moraine 100 miler and only 67 finishers. So that's a finisher rate of only 22.4%, um, which is, you know, I think Ryan was there. He can talk a little bit about the heat and, and, and why why it was such a low finisher rate but i think you really have to prepare for it's june in wisconsin it's gonna be hot you know it's gonna be humid and you have to go into it with the right mindset um you know Meltzer didn't even finish the 100 miler he dropped down to the 100k uh so so here's a little fun fact uh the last two races I did, I finished both 100 milers and Meltzer DN <laughs> DNF'd them both. So, you know, that's a little something. Obviously, he's like trying to win the race and I'm trying to finish the race. It's quite a bit different. Um, just thought it was funny. Um, so, you know, and so that was this race. And then the Badger Mountain, you know, it was the same thing. It was only about a 50% finisher race for these 100, for the 100 mile. So both races were, were very difficult. Um, conditions make it more difficult. And prior to that, the old Cascadia 50 miler, there were 140, 114 starters and only 54 finishers. So all three of the last three races I've done, there's been a really high, uh, people just aren't finishing races. And I don't know if it's partially because of COVID or if if people are just not prepared for the conditions. But uh, bottom line is, is I got all three of them done and I uh, couldn't be prouder about it. Um, just want to finish this up by saying uh, this one's for you, Mom, and I love you. Thanks, Ryan, for having me on the podcast again. And uh, love the love the podcast and keep it going, buddy. And there you have it. Rory, our first two-time podcast guest, I guess you could say. Um, I really appreciate Rory sharing his Kettle Moraine. Um, as he said, you know, we, myself and Jamie, were able to be up there this year. Um, first time taking that race in. We helped out with the 10 Junk Miles aid station. Um my memory serves me right. We were at like mile 19 and 45, something something along those lines. Um, and to Rory's point, this race was absolutely brutal. And I mean, with a 22% finisher rate for a race that, you know, you typically have heat and humidity in Wisconsin in early June. Um, I think this year was definitely a an exception to the general rule you know um mid 90s and 90 percent humidity just working the aid station which by the way was the most intense aid station i've ever worked we were like from the word go from first runner till last runner i mean it was pure chaos and it was an absolute blast uh the 10 junk miles crew we had so much fun but we watched carnage all day long. I mean, people were coming in at mile 19 and a half or whatever it was just early in the morning, absolutely soaking wet. There was no water crossings on the course at all. It didn't rain and people were coming back to us. Feet were just destroyed. Um, blisters, you know, literally I watched someone that had a slit 
right across their bottom of their foot and I could have like tucked my fingers into the um, ball of her foot like underneath her skin and and it was like that all day I mean people were just could not keep up on water couldn't get food down feet destroyed so as Rory said you know the fact anyone finished this I mean you got to be prepared for it and you have to adapt I think a lot of people didn't adapt in the race they they had goals and when those goals went out the window or body shut down they they called it um as opposed to maybe slowing down from the get-go and conserving until you got into the night hours when the temperature got better um you know that's kind of what happened to a friend of ours from st louis brent hafner he was a wreck when he came back through our aid station i mean and he just plugged along slowly until night came. And then when night came, temps dropped, um, you get fluids in, you let your body recover, and, and then you crush the second half of that race. So major kudos to Rory. Um, love listening to him share his stories. I love his journey as well. Um, and I love that he's out there getting after it. And one thing that I appreciate even more is that he dedicated this race and this report to his mom i love that man um so big thanks to rory i i know we'll get another report from him at some point and uh can't thank him enough for supporting the show and and sending in these reports i absolutely love it i i do know that i saw him at our aid station i don't know if i helped him um he might know <laughs> at this point there's so many people, but um, I'm really bummed now getting to know him that I wasn't able to give him a huge hug and help him out at the aid station. Uh, but maybe someday, say someday in the future, we're trying to get him down to OT 100 so I can uh, drink a beer with him after he finishes that. But anyway, major kudos to Rory. Um, Rory is one of our Patreons. I'm just going to jump into ways of support. Uh, Rory is one of our Patreons, so we really appreciate that. Um, Patreon is a way that you can support the podcast. Um, between Rory and our other crew, Mike Truman, Scotty Coomer with 10 Junk Miles, the aid station I worked at. Hope you guys are listening to that show. It is incredible. Jack Rosenfeld with Beer on the Run podcast. Those guys are incredible, too. Good buddy, Carrie Eldridge. Stephen Dents, who is a supporter of 10 Junk Miles podcast. Thank you, Stephen. And then Bobby Doobie as well. Um, thank you guys for supporting. That's one way you can support us. Uh, the other way you can support us is exactly what Rory's doing. Um, shoot us over your race reports. Um, if you run a race or if you have a friend that runs a race, just shoot me an email, theendurancehouse at gmail.com or hit me up on Facebook, the Endurance House Podcast, or on Instagram, shoot me a direct message on there, the Endurance House Pod. Um, if you got something, you can record it and just send it over. We'll put it on the docket and uh, get it loaded up and get it sent out for you. Um, or, or just shoot me a message and let me know about somebody that you think I should have on. Um, those are the best ways to support the show and we truly do appreciate people like rory who just i get an email and he's like here's a report here's your pictures nothing pumps me up more than that um and so i'd love to see more of those but that's how you can support us over here we really appreciate everyone listening i don't know where you're living in the world but i know that i went on a run today and it was like 80 degrees and 50% humidity and it felt amazing. Those fall temps are coming and I can't wait for more fall running. So I hope you guys are all out there training, working your butts off, enjoying those times on the roads and the trails, getting ready for that fall marathon season, those fall hundreds uh, where these races get a little bit more enjoyable even though it's always suffering so uh keep up the good work out there and we will catch you guys on episode 30 uh seven yeah thanks for listening